My mom and dad wouldn't let me go on any dates until I was about, about 20 years old, I guess it was. Learn to live each day to the fullest with all the hope for today and for tomorrow. We've lived our life, but through memories we can live it again. Welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the green bench. We're so glad you've decided to share a seat here today with me, Aaron Davis, and my co-host, Doug Robinson. Now, you know Doug by now. He's an 87-year-old resident of Sandalwood Park in Brampton, and he'll be here in a moment. The green bench is, of course, virtual in this case with these podcasts we do for and about seniors. But there are actual green benches, too. As you know, if you've visited or perhaps live in Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences, it is a place both in podcast form and in reality for people to connect, tell their stories, listen, learn, and grow. Please do go to elderwisdom.ca to subscribe and never miss one of our episodes. In future episodes, we're going to be talking with a sorority sister who's still making the world a better place and with a doctor specializing in seniors who also happens to be the author of some ripping good medical fiction. Those are all in the weeks ahead. So let's get to today's chat. It's with Hilda Bolter. Hilda lives in the village of Wentworth Heights in Hamilton, but as you'll soon hear, she comes to us via Germany. Hilda's story is one of war, strength, and endurance, and she has put pen to paper to make sure that her grandchildren know her story. But today, we're honored she's decided to grace Doug and me with it and the pleasure of her company. It's so nice to share this green bench with you again today, Doug. I hope that you're well. I'm very well, thank you, Erin, and yourself. I have no complaints. I have no complaints. And you know, today's guest, she's such a good reminder as so much of this year has been set against the backdrop of turmoil and conflict. And we're seeing so many similarities to Hilda's story growing up in the Second World War in Germany and then East Germany post-war. You know, the propaganda, the fear, the courage and resilience. Doug, as we start today, I'm going to ask you to give us some perspective off the top as to how growing up in the Second World War shaped the person that you are today. I know that's a big picture question to lead things off, but... Can you pinpoint some things about your childhood and the difficulties and challenges that made you who you are today? Yep. We had a lot of bombing around us. We had bombs falling, you know, every day during the Blitz. And uh, then in 1944, the uh, Germans invented the uh, rocket. And they used to send bombs over on a rocket. And we used to stand out in the street and watch the, we called them doodle bugs. Mm. You'd watch the doodle bug go over, and it would make a droning noise. Mm -hmm. And then once the droning noise stopped, you had to run and take cover because the bomb was going to fall out of the sky. And we had four around our house that uh, fell very close. But then in 1945, they had the big rocket. They called it the V-2. And luckily enough, the war was nearly over when they started to send them over. 
but we had one uh, hit two streets over from where I lived, and it wiped out the whole street. Mm. And my 11-year-old friend was killed in that uh, explosion. And getting into that uh, theme, you know, we grew up with that. We were never scared of that. But the only time I cried during the war was when our own government came to the school to fit us out with gas masks. We were six years old and they told us that the gas mask would look like Mickey Mouse mm. so that we wouldn't be scared. And they put these masks on them. Uh, they were red and yellow with a great big eye to look out, big mm -hmm. round eyes, and a little flap for a nose. And you had to blow and make this flap make a burping noise. And after we'd done all the tests, they took the glass mask off of us, and you had a classroom of six-year-olds uh, crying their eyes out, scared out of their living life, daylights. Mm. <laughs> and now with that perspective, we will welcome a girl on the other side who at 10 years old saw what war did to otherwise good people when she was strafed by machine gun fire from a British plane. And she's here with us today. Her name, as we mentioned earlier, is Hilda Bolter. And Hilda, we are so very pleased to have you with us today to share your stories about which you're writing a memoir, and we'll get into that. Thank you for being with us here on the Green Bench today. Thank you for having me. And I like being here and tell the story how it was so that people know what was happened in this time and how Doc uh, told how he uh, was acquainted with uh, this, uh, with the bombs and so, and it was on the German side too. Yeah. You live with this. Yes. Yeah. You did live with this. As a matter of fact, when you were just a child, you were forced to enter the Hitler Youth. Yeah. Now, if you could tell us about that, what that means, and why you had to join it. Uh, that was uh, pressure. We want all the kids under control. Mm -hmm. And uh, they forced you to go in it, otherwise you wouldn't have any future. So Hitler was trying to make it all a big family and all, uh, all should be his followers. Yeah, and he wanna be the top of everybody. And doesn't matter the leaders, which were leaders, they weren't really leaders. They were even full of hatred and uh, they tried to push us in a direction how we should grow up under Hitler. And uh, for people, they don't like it. Yeah, they don't want to be forced to anything. They want to have peace. And uh, it wasn't there. The, so we didn't have peace over there. No. Both sides, the people wanted yeah. peace as humans do. Yeah. And I understand some 90% of children were forced to enter the Hitler oh, Youth yeah. and that it was a way for the government to give propaganda to the children without parents or outsiders saying, no, 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 what they're telling you is not the truth because children were being indoctrinated straight from the source. But yet, as Doug will note here, you found a way to have your own little resistance. Isn't that right, Doug? Yes. 
It's quite true. Hilda, you resisted the Nazi regime yeah. the best way you could as a little girl. Yeah. Can you share the story how you go about sneaking food stamps to the Jewish people? Yeah. See, my mother was trying this to do so. And even as a little girl, I must so be seven years old, I saw the danger in which my mother was in to giving the Jewish people food stamps. Yeah, then uh, you didn't know where the people were, uh, uh, which uh, would tell the other people so that you get punished for. And in my mind, I said, well, they have children. When I go by them and I took the food stamps from my mother and was hopping so like a kid steward, and I went by the girl, pushed the stamp in their hand, and I went farther. So I didn't stop nothing so that... Uh, Nobody uh, should have known that I did something like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, somehow I wasn't afraid what would come up to me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I want to help. I can picture you with one arm raised, Heil Hitler, which is what yeah. you were trained to say. And then the oh, other yeah. hand, slipping your Jewish friends yeah. food stamps. And that's exactly yeah. the scenario you've laid out for us. Yeah. Hilda. Our food was rationed during the war, and I grew up with no cereal, no ice cream, yeah. or no fresh fruit. Yeah. It was a hard time for yeah. young children. Yeah. See, I think the first banana that I ate, I think I was 15 years old. You didn't have a banana till you were about 15? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And there were other things too that you uh, never had. So, and you uh, didn't even know that it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Hilda. Yeah. The Stimpfau. Yeah. What does that mean? It's very true. Yeah. See, even to Christmas and so, and it was so uh, rich celebrated how it is here. Yeah, we didn't hit the stuff. So uh, we couldn't buy so many things about and, and food stamps and if you are lucky, you found something in a store. If you are not lucky, well, so be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has that colored your life as you've gone on? And I can't help but simplify it and think that even now, in your 80s, when you see a banana, is there anything in you that goes, do you know how lucky you are to have bananas piled high yeah, there yeah. at the village of Wentworth Heights when you go to get a meal or, yeah. or you know, just the bounty that we have today that so many of us take for granted. Yeah. yeah. See, and when I heard uh, a lady from here complained about the food and I was so angry, I turned around and I said, well, when you want three times hamburger in a week, that's impossible. And if you think that the food here is rotten, then go to the hospital and uh, to uh, the other uh, where I went, I lost in this eight months 50 pounds. Oh. So, and that was, I was here in other facilities. Yes. And uh, I said, I'm surprised how good it is. Okay, it is nothing 100%. You have to take and give. But the food is good. 
you don't uh, see when you come from Germany or even from Holland. Holland, they like the cheese so much and different kind of cheese mm-hmm. and, and fish. Yeah, and uh, I remember so many things where you come from Germany, the sauerkraut, okay, that came here to Canada too. Uh-huh. Yeah, you want the stew when the others want the hamburger. Or, uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, they never learn to share or allow the other people to uh, uh, say their own wishes or have their own wishes. Yeah, and that you have to share. It's it's very hard to explain yeah. to this day's generation what it was really like when we were growing up. You know, to tell them that we didn't have cereal. We didn't know that. My 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 mother yeah. used to cut up a loaf of bread into squares. Yeah. And pour hot milk on it. Yeah. Sprinkle it with sugar. Yeah. And that was our breakfast in the morning yeah. to go to school. If yeah. you had sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar was highly rationed, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And of course now, Doug, you know, you paint a picture of children being terrified by putting on these hideous gas masks yeah. that yeah. were supposed to look like Mickey Mouse. Nice try yeah. in some, you know, dystopian nightmare. <laughs> but now th- there was a fight for so long about people just wearing a simple cloth mask. Yeah. Yeah. It just, oh, I would have a concussion from shaking my head so hard if I had your perspective, Doug. Yeah. And Hilda. My goodness. Yeah. See, and when, when we had uh, uh, the air raids with the airplane, yeah, you mm-hmm. were forced to use a gas mask. There were bombs yes. when they did fall out from the airplane, so uh, soon they get uh, air, they start burning. Yeah, and then they did fall down and hit the houses and uh, whatever. So, uh, yeah, you, we, we, we were used to gas masks too. Then uh, yeah. we have to protect ourselves. You also, as you grew up into a mature woman, found that you had to protect yourself from the one person who should be your soft place to fall. And that was your husband. Yeah. Can you tell us about what you had to go through once you came to Canada to be with this man that you had known even as a child in Germany, yeah. and you became husband and wife and had a son, Klaus, and then you found yourself here in your new land having to find freedom from your husband. Is that a story that you can share with us, please, Hilda? Oh, yeah. See, uh, we met, he came to Germany because his stepfather passed away. And mm-hmm. uh, he helped his mother to bury him. And four weeks later, his mother died. And on the end of the deathbed, she gave him a wristwatch and uh, told him to, uh, he has to bring it to me. We wrote, but uh, not, uh, it was a loose uh, uh, writing, so uh, it was not... Uh, so uh, that it seems that we would get married. But uh, he came then, okay, I gave him the watch, and that was the reason I came to Canada. The problem is, and that's my problem, that I didn't wait long to know him better. Ah. Yeah, and he could hide his uh, addiction to alcohol. Ah. And uh, it was everything so far because I could... Uh, watch this little bit and uh, help him not to drink so much. 
until I was pregnant and I uh, had our son Klaus. Mm-hmm. And that was too much. He uh, saw his money go the other way and he couldn't buy so much uh, alcohol how he wanted so and the fight begin. Mm. And uh, I didn't know how to handle that, but I had uh, good help. And uh, he told me I have to come to a point where I learn and know what I want. When my husband came home and uh, Klaus, my son, started shaking, mm. then I said, well, that's it. So my uh, son was four and a half years when I left him. Mm. And I was legal separate so that I could uh, go on with my life and uh, doesn't have to look after him too. Then that would be too much. And you ended up with full custody of your son because your yeah. ex was allowed to see Klaus only when he was sober. Yeah. And unfortunately, that never happened. No, no. Oh. He came, he called, oh. and uh, I uh, heard on his voice that he had a couple of drinks. And I said, no, yeah, I mm. bring my friend. And mm. I said, well, only you can come. And nobody else. Yeah. Hilda, yeah. did he ever hit you while he was drunk? No, because through all my life and so I was too powerful, maybe. So I opened my mouth uh, when I had to, I did start fighting in this. Yeah. Mm. And I told him that's not, not such a thing that uh, we start hitting each other. You left your husband's order to protect your son. Yeah. What advice would you give someone who is similar situation but is too afraid to leave? Uh, it should go for help. There are the social workers that she learned to know what she wants and go when she knows that he wouldn't change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then it is a very primitive, miserable life and uh, you start to hate yourself. And the other thing is you get mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With all this, you, you cannot uh, cope with this. Yeah. And then uh, you make the dumbest thing so to uh, protect yourself. But to protect yourself is leave him. I was not for leaving him, but I was on a point I couldn't help him. Uh, there were money for, for booze, but not for milk for the boy. Right. So and that, that, that's it. And that's where your mama bear kicks yeah. right in and said, yeah. no, we've got to take care yeah. of little Klaus. So yeah. what was your life after you left your ex-husband? You became a single mother. How did you go on? Yeah. Because, you know, the underlying theme of our talk with you here on the Green Bench today, both for both Hilda and Doug, is resilience yeah. and that strength that you found. And that is not to say that a woman who stays with an abusive husband or an alcoholic or addicted spouse is not strong. You found a way out. So tell us about your life after leaving. What did you do to survive, Mama Bear? I prayed to the Lord for strength, that he would help me, that I find a house where we can live in peace. Uh, I can make my life and I can handle this. So after three years of praying, I had a feeling now it's time to go for a real tour. Mm-hmm. The first realtor, I did quit with him, and I found another one, and he was German too. Ah. 
And when I called, he said I was his sister and he made a joke. And I'm good for it. So, uh, but he found a house for me. Oh. And I want a house and I did rent out the upper apartment. Yeah. And I live with Klaus downstairs. Uh-huh. It was a little bit small, but, uh, well, we managed. It was yours. Yeah. It was mine. Right. And that helped me to pay off, even so there were times that I went without supper to bed. But oh. my son had his food. Do you think that your son knows, Hilda? Or is oh. this the reason why you are writing your memoir? Because these are stories that need to be told. He knows. And he plead for it, Mom, write this. Because he was writing with there. He knows there are many things that he didn't know but what he will find out. And he's thankful for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, the other thing, but I like to tell too, how the Lord did do his job with me. Mm. We found a house after I saw, saw uh, at least 50 other houses. And uh, I looked, and the house was perfect for me, but I couldn't see it. I want one room more. Uh, we came to the basement, and the uh, realtor was a little bit pushing because he knew that was good for me. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, my son started dancing around us, and he said, Mommy, buy the house. Ah. Mommy, buy the house. <laughs> so I made my condition, and I went with the price real low. And I said, well... If that if I should have the house, that will be. The next day, the realtor, he called me and he said, Mrs. Bolter, that's never happened to me, but happened to me today. I talked with the people to sell you the house. I talked for two hours and sometimes I didn't even know what I was talking about. But mm-hmm. I know I was talking that, uh, that you get the house. See, and that's the Lord's way. When you go with him and uh, you follow his way, he helps you. Yeah, and that's what I would like that the others know. There is help out there. They only have to reach out and believe in it. Yes, simply in asking for help. Let's talk about that memoir. Doug, I know that you have a question here. Yeah. You're currently writing a memoir for your son and granddaughter. Yeah. What made you want to write down your stories? Uh, because it is so powerful to what I went through. And I want to tell my son, whatever it is, with the Lord's help, and you get you the right way, you will conquer everything. You will get there. So you don't have to be afraid. And that's not only uh, during the war, but uh, how I grew up. And there are things that I went through and I conquered this. Yeah, there was no doubt about it. So I did this. Then I was on my own since I was 16. And I brought myself through, uh, through it. Yeah, and he should know. When mm. you do something and you are with this, you can do it. And that's what I want in the whole diary there that he knows and he will and that's such a wonderful legacy such a wonderful gift as you've had health challenges with colon cancer and more recently a stroke in fact 
at one time you were told you only had a week to live. Yeah. I can't even imagine how long ago was that because here you are now uh, writing your memoirs. You are 90 pages in. Yeah. Uh, and we understand that you don't cry over no. anything. No. Because my life is in the Lord's end. Mm. And he knows what's good for me. And why should I ruin my last days? Uh, why not bring to other that they know that they don't have to cry? See, I will be 88 this year mm-hmm. if I live so long. See, I have many years which I could go and which I could do these things. Can't I be happy? See, I have the invitation to go. I have the time to say goodbye to all my friends and uh, relatives. And uh, to be, I can be a little help for these people die are sick. Only when I see them, uh, they smile, I wave to him or say hi, hmm. how happy they are. And it mm-hmm. costs nothing. Yeah. And I still can do it. Yeah. That you don't have to cry. I understand, Hilda, there's a nurse that comes to visit you and she says that you are her inspiration. Yeah. And now this nurse has the courage to pursue her career yeah. aspirations. Yeah. So who knows how many people you have touched and are still touching today through our conversation here on the Green Bench. Yeah, but I don't I don't start counting. Good. That's how that comes <laughs> and uh, how my ways are here. So and I use it. Beautiful. But I know my church is praying for me. Can I step in here for a second, please? Yes, you can. You're writing your life story. Yeah. I'm the opposite. My grandson, he lives in Germany, he lives in Berlin, Hilda. Yeah. And he is writing my life story to music. Oh, that's nice. Now, he, he interviews me every now and again, asks yeah. me questions. Yeah. And he's, he has a big uh, recording studio. Yeah. And he's recorded my life story to music. Oh, that's and, nice. Yeah, it's in Berlin. Yeah, I lived here in Berlin. Yeah. Beautiful city. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Of course, the Berlin that we see in the 21st century is so different, I'm sure, from the oh, Berlin the that you experienced. <laughs> the 40s. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Hilda, you have such a positive attitude, and a cancer diagnosis is just one of the hardest things that a person at any age can hear. Yeah. How did you find out about this? Um, felt weak, and I couldn't hardly walk. I went to the doctor and said something is wrong with me. So he uh, sent me for a blood test. The next day he called me and he said, pack your bag and go up right away to emergency. Mm. So in emergency, he made his CAT scan and he found out I have cancer and I'm mm-hmm. full and that's uh, not uh, repairable. Yeah. So and uh, I looked, they were uh, uh, surprised, no tear, nothing. I only thought, well, is it worth to cry about it? I can change it. So and then they sent me home and uh, it didn't work out. And then one of these days I told Klaus, uh, call for help, I have to go to the hospital. So I came there and uh, after a couple detours in there, 
they put me in a room, in a single room, very nicely decorated, and I didn't get it at was to the end station. Yes, palliative. And uh, then the doctor came, my son was there too. I asked him, I said, how long? Tomorrow, the day after, oh. at most a week. I said, okay. But what he didn't know, that was not the reason that I was so weak. He found it out later. I was dehydrated and uh, I had a little stroke and I had scissors. So this came afterwards. And then all of a sudden he knew what I had. Yeah, and here I am. That's almost 10 years after this and I'm still going. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a beautiful, beautiful story of hope, yeah. of resilience, and, and of little, no one would want to have a stroke, but no. that little stroke alerted you to the fact that well, I'd better get this looked at, and then they found the yeah. cancer, and here you are, 10 years yeah. later. And I was, ah. was laying in bed, I couldn't move. Nobody helped me, and I asked the nurse, tell me how can I start some exercise? And today... I walked on a walker. I don't know how far it is, but a uh, uh, nice distance. Mm -hmm. I, uh, during the day, I help myself when I get have to go to the washroom. Otherwise, in the morning, evening, the, the helpers are doing this. Yeah. So, uh, and give me two months. I think I will walk only behind the walker, not anymore on a wheelchair. Well, if we were going to believe in anyone after our talk today, and I'm sure, Doug, that you agree, it would be you, Hilda. Thank yep. you so much for this. And as we wrap up, with our deepest gratitude and admiration for you sharing your story of resilience and hardship and hope, could you tell us, Hilda, please, what advice you would give to someone who does not believe that they are as strong as you are? Pray to the Lord for strength and walk on it. Pray to the Lord for strength and walk in it. Yeah. And don't give up. You can do it. Don't uh, uh, lay there. Try to move. Try to talk with people. Don't capsule, uh, or go alone and lay in bed and wait for something that never will come. Yeah, I see this here. They stop eating. They go to bed. They don't uh, want to eat. And uh, they come back and... Uh, you know, that's very sad when you see that people, if they would have uh, moved around a little bit or uh, try to help themselves, yeah, and not giving up yeah. too early, yeah, that would help. I would give this. Uh, and uh, here are uh, at least three people which I told of and they start working and doing exercise. Yeah. So and that's uh, and don't give up. Take your food even if you think you don't like it. Your body needs the nourishment too, not uh, only your inside, but your body too. Eat, pray, live. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hilda. Thanks. We are so yeah. grateful. Hilda. Yeah. Du bist eine schöne Frau. Danke schön. Can I uh, schmooze a kind of bishop mit there? Oh yeah. 
Danke. Doug, did you just ask her out for a beer? Uh, no, I asked her for a cuddle. Ah! How did I know? Oh, that's a very, uh, uh, very good medication. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. Thank you, Hilda. You're we welcome. are sending you a huge hug right now. Yeah. Thanks so and much. I take the hug and I send something back to you. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Danke. And danke to Evelyn Vorberg, yeah. the rec team member yeah. with Hilda, and of course to Jennifer Gould yeah. and lovely Doug Robinson. And we'll talk to you again. Au revoir. We are so looking forward to our next chat here on the Green Bench, Doug Robinson and I, with Virginia Berry. Just down the hall from Hilda at the village of Wentworth Heights in Hamilton, Virginia is the very embodiment of the competitive spirit and of the strength that comes in teamwork, from her sorority life, even to this day, to competition in, and two brushes with death on, the water. Don't miss her stories. And to make sure, be sure you go to elderwisdom.ca and subscribe. And while you're there, do take the Elder Wisdom Pledge, won't you? Thanks to you for joining us. And of course, to Doug Robinson for being a welcoming and lovely co-host. I'm Erin Davis. And remember, your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom. Stories from the Green Bench is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.